Amen. Lord, we thank you and praise you that in a time when a world is so ambivalent about who God is, Lord, we can boldly proclaim there is no other God. You alone are God. You alone sent your Son to suffer and die that we might have eternal life. And Lord, we thank you and we praise you. We magnify your most holy name. And we ask that we go as we go to your word, the Lord, tonight you would be our teacher. Your Holy Spirit would minister to every heart that is here. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel. It's great to have you here. Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4. We'll be looking at the second half tonight. Continue our verse-by-verse study through the New Te- uh, Old Testament. Lord willing, we'll finish up the book of Hebrews on Sunday. So let me encourage you to read chapter 13. And Lord willing, we'll finish that up this coming Sunday. I know, I'm sure it was mentioned, uh, Ross Rhodes, Men's Retreat, you need to come. Amen? Just show up, guys. I promise you, you will absolutely be blessed. It's going to be a great time. All right. Well, as we've been going through Genesis, it is the foundational book of all of the Bible. If you don't understand Genesis, you're going to struggle with the rest of the Bible. And if you have a good grasp of Genesis, you will not have a problem with anything else in the Bible. Amen? And it's amazing how this book is so heavily attacked by the world. You know, the whole evolution and everything that's taught is an attack on the Genesis account, the creation account. Because the enemy knows if he can take out the foundation, everything else will crumble. So it's important that we understand and believe what the Word of God says, and we understand that we were indeed created by Almighty God in His image. So chapter 1 and 2, we saw the creation of man. Chapter 3, we saw the fall of man into sin. Creation of everything in chapters 1 and 2, the fall of man into sin. Again, man, the woman was deceived, and she, you know, took of the apple. The man, often we want to look at the woman and say she was deceived. Well, the man knew, and he rebelled. So in either case, it's wrong, and it's sin. And when we get to chapter 4, we start to see the impacts of the sin. See, sometimes we look at the sin and we want to just end right there. But the truth is that when we sin, sin has consequences that go on. And we're going to see that tonight in the life of Cain. And then next week, we're going to see the opposite in the line of Adam through Seth. So last week, we saw the sin of Adam and Eve and the effects that it had on the next generation, most specifically two of their sons, Cain and Abel. So both of them were brought up in the same home. No doubt with the same truths taught about sin and God and the need for sacrifice. And I'm convinced that each had a very clear understanding of God's word to them through their dad. I'm very convinced of that. And in the midst of that, notice how the two of them respond in a different way. This should be a source of encouragement to us as parents. And I want to say it's hard to ever be encouraged when your kids are in rebellion. But let me say this. You're called by God to faithfully raise them up to know the truth. And pray for them fervently and never stop, but know that they have free will. And know that a child in rebellion is not necessarily a reflection on the parents, though Adam and Eve sinned, certainly brought sin into the world. But here we see Cain and we see Abel. And we know that Cain brought a sacrifice and Abel brought a sacrifice. I don't have any proof of this. My opinion, Cain had probably brought sacrifices before that were the right sacrifice. Because it says in the text, in the process of time, so I believe after some time had gone on, we know that Abel was a farmer and or, uh, Abel was a rancher and Cain was a farmer. And Abel brought, you know, the, the sacrifice, the blood sacrifice that God had c- called for. We all know that that was all going to point to Jesus Christ, of course. But for them, what difference did it make? They couldn't fully grasp 
the shedding of blood for the remission of sin yet. They just knew what God had commanded them to do. And sadly, what happens is after a while, Cain says, well, wait a minute. You know, I go out and, and toil in the ground. I, I produce such great fruit. You know, why is it only he can bring what he possesses? Why, must I, why can't I bring my best? Certainly if I give the best I have, God will receive that. Does that sound familiar or what? The world we live in today, you know, I'm giving God my best. You know, if I do the best I can, if I'm a really good person, certainly if there's a God, he'll receive what I bring to him. He'll know I'm giving him the best that I have. In case you didn't know it, your best is not good enough. Amen? That we are all sinners in desperate need of a Savior, and we cannot come through but through the shed blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. And when Cain came bringing the fruit, it doesn't even say it was the best of his fruit, but let's just say that it was. He brought it, and then the Lord looks down and he respected Abel's sacrifice, but Cain's he did not. He looked down at Cain's sacrifice, and he knew that this was not a representation of his son. That without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness for sin. And so he lets Cain know that his sacrifice is not worthy. Now remember, when Cain was born, many believed that, that Adam and Eve thought that this was the one that was going to bring bridge sinful man back to holy God. His name means gotten or acquired. And many people believe that. And you know what? They found out quickly that Cain was not going to be the guy. That he was going to be far from it. Amen? And sometimes we have great expectations for our kids. We need to learn to trust in the Lord and that He's the one who is faithful and we need to pray on their behalf. But Cain instead becomes the one who rebels against God. And how does he do it? He brings what he considers to be the best. And again, you're not, your best and my best is not good enough. So God looks down upon his sacrifice, says this is not sufficient. It's not going to work, Cain. Now Cain can do something here. Cain can repent. Cain can say, you know what, Lord, you're right. This sacrifice was insufficient. What in the world was I thinking? What did Cain do instead? He murmured against God. He became angry. He was angry that God would not accept his sacrifice. Isn't this true when you witness to people sometime? I'm coming to God my own way. I do good works and then... When you tell them it's not good enough, they get angry. Who is God to tell me how I come to him? Oh, let me think about that. He's God. You're not. Amen? He is the one that makes the rules. He is the one that says this is the way it's going to take place. And can I just tell you from the heart of a pastor, I am so grieved at people trying to water down the gospel today. You know what? We don't need to water it down. We need to preach it with boldness. Amen? This is a great thing. This is a wonderful thing. It's a gospel of grace. And yet we want to have God conform to our image instead of us falling on our knees before His, before Him. Amen? And so we see here that He was upset. He did not repent. He became angry because the Lord respected His brother's offering and didn't respect His. You know what? Again, our acceptability is not based on our efforts, but it's based on us coming to God and the way He's called us to come to Him. And in His anger, what does He do? Cain gets angry and says, you know what, I brought the best I have. This just doesn't seem fair. Abel brought his. He respects Abel's. He doesn't respect mine. So what does he do? He kills Abel. Now, why did he kill his brother? I believe one of the main reasons he killed his brother was his brother was as a living testimony and example of you can live God's way. Amen? Here's the truth. People don't like it when they have that, that halogen light right in front of them that says, yes, you can live God's way. You know, I'm just going to put that light out. Every time I look at Abel, I remember that God received his sacrifice and didn't receive mine. I'm going to just remove him. Isn't it interesting that the first murder in human history was over religion? Nothing's changed, has it? 
But typically, here's what you see, the self-righteous, ungodly, attacking those who by faith are walking with God. Abel was faithfully walking with God. The self-righteous who think they have their own path to God come and attack to put out the light. It's nothing new under the sun. The same is happening today. The self-righteous attacking those who just faithfully honor and serve the Lord. Cain is then given another chance to repent. God says, where's your brother Abel? He speaks to him. God reaches down, for, speaks to him. Here's a chance to say, oh, you know what, Lord? I, I, I blew it. I got angry. I killed my brother. Forgive me. Instead, what does he say? Who, who am I my brother? Am I my brother's keeper? You know, people like to quote that a lot. They need to remember who first said it, right? It was Cain. You don't want to quote Cain. Not so much, right? But Cain said, am I my brother's keeper? I mean, can you imagine answering Almighty God with anger and kind of sarcasm? I don't know if it's sarcastic, but, you know, am I my brother's keeper? I think, you know, falling face down on the ground is probably a good, appropriate response to Almighty God catching you in sin. Amen? But instead we see that this man is filled with the flesh with anger, arrogance, even ambivalence. He lies to Almighty God. I don't know. I don't know where he is. My brother's keeper. He's unrepentant. And as the Lord confronts Cain and his sin, we're going to see now that his sin has consequences because from that point forward, he pronounces a curse upon Cain. When did the curse come? When he sinned, God gave him an opportunity to repent. He refused to repent. He walked away from God. He chose to walk in rebellion. And now the consequences came. Guys, our God is a God of love and grace and mercy, but as we walk away from God and choose to go our own way and walk in rebellion, do not blame him when the consequences of sin follow. Amen? And that's what happens in Cain's life. He rebels against God. He goes his own way. And then he, when he hears the curse, okay, you're, you know, you're going to toil on the ground, no more fruit. Not going to be fruitful for you anymore. And you know what, Cain? You're going to be a vagabond. You're going to be a vagrant. You're just going to be a homeless person wandering the earth the rest of your life. And Cain says, doesn't repent. He says, this is too hard for me. You'll notice in his response, it's me and I and me and I. Too difficult for me and I and me. And this is a sign of someone who's not repenting, but someone who's bummed out about sin's consequences. And that's Cain. And so what happens? God says, okay, you know what, Cain? He's he's sure that if he leaves, he's going to be killed. So he says, well, they'll kill me. And the Lord says, okay, I'll tell you what. I'm going to put a mark on you, Cain. What that mark was, I have no idea. But he put a mark upon him that nobody could touch him. And he said, if anybody kills him, I, you know, sevenfold will be upon them. But I also believe it shows that God's the one who brings vengeance, not man. Amen? God brings vengeance. God brings righteous judgment in his timing. Now that brings us up to verse 16. And I want to take a look. And again, if you're a note taker... Tonight, I titled the message, The Way of Cain. Now, some of you might say, well, later in the Bible, it talks about the way of Cain. And it's speaking about rebellion and murder and the ungodliness of Cain. But I want to talk tonight about the fact that Cain's behavior would impact not only him, but the generations that followed him. As I said last week, not one drop of blood from the lineage of Cain made it onto the ark. Not one. Cain's entire lineage is going to be wiped out. But notice as we'll watch through tonight, if you go through the text, we're going to see Cain's rebellion and how it impacted not only him, but the lives of those who followed him. And for all of us, parents, and I hate to always single out the dads, but you know what, dads especially, God's got a calling upon your life to be the spiritual leader, and the way you behave will impact the next generation. 
Amen? That's true of moms as well. But even more so, I believe, dads, God's called you to be that spiritual leader. So if you're a note taker, the way of Cain, consequences of rebellion upon a man and those who follow him. Number one, it leaves you lost and wandering. You know, sin always promises satisfaction and it leaves you with nothing. It leaves you with consequences. It leaves you wandering aimlessly. It leaves you with no meaning to life. Number two, the way of Cain impacts not only you but the generations that follow. Number three, and the consequences of rebellion, cause you to focus on temporal success, not right standing before God. As we're going to see, this will sound very familiar to today. In Cain's lineage, they were technologically advanced and spiritually bankrupt. What does that sound like? Sounds like the country we live in today, amen? The world we live in today. Number four, increased violence, anger, and self-promotion. These are consequences of rebellion in the long term. And then next week, we'll see the full line of Seth, the line of Adam through Seth, but tonight we'll just see two verses, and we'll see the contrast that he recognizes the human frailty, and he calls on the name of the Lord. While Cain is trusting in himself, Seth and his lineage are calling on the name of the Lord. And again, this doesn't count for every person that follows, but in general, this is what we'll see. So, the way of Cain, it leaves you lost and wandering. Let's begin in verse 16. And it says, Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. Now, Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. This is what sin does. Sin breaks fellowship with God. Amen? Rebellion is leaving the presence of God to go my own way and pursue my own desires. And it says he went to Nod, the land of Nod. Now, that's not the place where you go 20 minutes into the message, right? Some of you. Especially on Wednesday night, right? Now, here's the good news. When I'm looking at you right now, I, you know, it's probably because I can't see. But, I, you know, at a distance, I just see a blur. So if you're nodding, I really don't notice. I really don't. Now, God does, but that's okay. And notice those who are nodding. He went, notice when he got to Nod, he went out of the presence of the Lord. I'm not saying anything, but... Just a thought. Okay, I'm kidding, totally. I'm glad you're here if you're tired. Those chairs are kind of comfortable, I know. It's kind of warm in here. But notice that it's interesting that nod means wandering or vagrancy. He went into the land of wandering or the land of being a vagrant, the land of being a homeless person. I found that interesting as I was studying this this afternoon and praying about it, how people who are lazy and don't work and end up, and I'm not saying this about all homeless people because some of them certainly are there because of circumstances beyond their control, but most of them are not. But they love to tell you how Jesus was homeless. They love to tell you that. Now, first of all, he had no place to lay his head because he was busy about the Father's work. Amen? Not because he was lazy and laying in the street. And I'm just speaking the truth, okay? But notice who was homeless, the man who was in rebellion against God. Amen? Now, please, don't take that out of context. I know I'm going to get phone calls when this hits the radio. But here's the point. Here, the point I want to make is this. We need to reach out to all of them in love, but too often we want to blame our circumstances and we want, instead of saying, okay, does God promise to provide for us? What's the answer? But God expects us to be proactive in that provision. Amen? So laziness is a sin and it's not an excuse. And so we see here that he's, he has rebelled against God. Now he has no home. He leaves the presence of the Lord. He goes out of Eden where in some, you know, we, many believe, myself included, that God had shown his presence there somehow. There was a place of sacrifice we know, 
And again, they'd been in Eden, and now he speaks to them even after he's out of, you know, out of Eden itself. He's in banished. God's still speaking to them. And now he's going to be a place away from God completely. He's going to be out of fellowship with Almighty God because of his rebellion. Cain's problem was not that he couldn't find the place he was supposed to be, but that he had left it. Cain knew where God wanted it, where he was supposed to be. And instead, he walked away from it, and he was wandering. Why was he wandering? Because he had left the Lord. Guys, if you walk away from God, you will never find satisfaction in this world. Amen? The Bible promises it, and you get it for a moment. You know, the, you know sin is pleasurable for a season. But after a while, you're going to realize this is not working out. Sin promised me pleasure, and it brought me pain. You know, my heart breaks. I look at people who are in marriages and they, you know, they go out and commit adultery or they're, they're in a, you know, a rebellious child and they run from God or they get caught up in things and they just leave the Lord for a while. And you know that in due time, because if they're truly saved and they're God's kids, at some point, they're going to be brought to the end of themselves and it's going to be a disaster. Now, Lord, bring it to bring them home if that's what you need to do. Amen? The prodigal son had to be eating some slop before he realized, you know, it was better at dad's house. Maybe it's time I go home. And you know what? Praise God that he loves us enough. And you know what? Sadly, though, we're going to see Cain. He's just going to continue on in his rebellion. We're never going to see that repentance in him. And sadly, not in the generations that would follow him. This is what a lack of repentance does. It removes us from the presence of the God, from God. It separates us from the Lord. It leaves us lost and wondering. And what's interesting is the separation was physical and spiritual. Because he left the garden, he left God's presence, the place of sacrifice, the place of worship. But he left behind the daily reminder of the greatness of God. You know what the enemy wants you to do when you're in rebellion? Stay away from God's people. Is it true or not? Am I the only one here? When you're in sin, you don't want to go to church. Is that true or not? Oh man, I, you know, I don't want to see those people. I'll have to go there and pretend like I'm doing good and I'm not. And the enemy wants to keep you away from accountability and away from the place where you're going to enter into worship of Almighty God. And you know what? He just wants to, you know, be isolated in your sins. Stay away. This is where Cain is. He's missing out on the accountability, the daily reminder of the greatness of God, the sacrifices that took place which were a reminder of his own sin and need of redemption. His leaving physical is a symbol, physically, excuse me, is a symbol of an even greater problem, his separation from God spiritually. No more worship, no more fellowship, the very thing he was created for. Instead of doing what God had created him for, God, Cain's life would now be aimless and without purpose. And if we, God created you to have a relationship with him, do you understand that? We'll often say, man, you were made to do that, right? We'll say that about somebody, somebody's really gifted at something, man, you were made for that. And maybe you were. But ultimately what you were made for is to have a relationship with Almighty God. That's why he created you. To have intimate fellowship with him. And when you don't have it, your life will be empty. You will be like this homeless guy wandering, a wanderer, just looking for answers, having no place to go but the place that he needed to go back to. The lost world today seeks satisfaction from wealth and fame and career and relationships and phys physical gratification and personal comfort. But their flesh will never be satisfied. They will never find peace because true peace can only come from walking in intimate fellowship with the one who created you. And so repentance brings restoration, rebellion brings separation. Maybe you came in here tonight, and maybe you feel like Cain. Maybe you've been wandering away from the Lord. Guys, tonight you can get right with him. Amen? A million steps away from God, it truly is only one step back. 
Cain had walked away from God. He's out of fellowship. His life is empty. He's wandering. And so now he's going to try to find peace in something else. And it's so important that we're going to see now the consequences, not just on Cain, but those who follow him. And dads and moms, brothers, sisters, people in your family, if you're the godly person in your home, God's using you to be salt and light. God's using you to be an example to them. And if you walk away from God, it's not only going to impact you, but it's going to impact those around you. Your faithfulness or your rebellion has a huge impact on all who follow you. Point number two, the way of Cain, when we walk in rebellion, it impacts not only you, but the generations to follow. Look at verse 17. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. Now the word knew, speaking of physical intimacy, so he had physical intimacy with his wife, and they bore a child. Now I know the question that's in some of your minds right now. The question you've been asked by people, where did Cain get his wife? I've been reading my Bible. All I've seen so far is four people, right? Adam, Eve, Cain, Abel. Abel's dead, three people. Where, Cain left, where did his wife come from? Have anybody else besides me got that question before? Where did Cain get his wife? Now, you need to understand something. In chapter 5, we're going to see that Adam had sons and daughters. They're not all named. You know, sometimes people will say, well, the Bible... Guys, the Lord gives us as much detail as we need. Cain and Abel are significant to the story, obviously. And Seth, we're going to see in chapter 5, the other son that is named, because through him will come the Messiah. But they had sons and daughters. Adam lived 930 years. How many kids can you have... In 930 years, when God told you to be fruitful and multiply. I got an idea they were having triplets and quintuplets. I got, and I don't know how many proof of that, but I have an idea that's what's happening. Now, we know he had lived about 100, we'll see in next chapter, 130 years when Seth was born. And that takes place right after this. So he's been alive 130 years. And remember, he was born full grown, right? So he's had 130 years. He could have been having children. And his children could have been having children. We're have, not could have been, they were. Amen? Now, I've heard calculations that by the time that we get to this point, there could have been hundreds of thousands of people on the planet already. Certainly, there were thousands, if not tens of thousands, at the very least. 130 years having multiple, and then the kids having kids. How many kids you got? You're going to have a lot, right? So that means that he married his sister, his cousin, or his niece, somebody related to him. Most think it's probably a sister now. Ugh, his sister. That's wrong. Well, when you get to the law of Moses, it is wrong. But you know why it's wrong? Because the gene bull has been polluted. Prior to that, it was not so. It made me think of uh, when we go to Israel. You know, there's three places where the, you know, the Jordan River comes out of. One of them is called Tel Dan, and the water comes up out of the ground, and it's the purest water I've ever seen. Those of you go to Israel with us, I mean, it just comes up and you're like, wow. It's just the purest water. But you know what? By the time you get down to the bottom of the Jordan by the Dead Sea, I mean, I've seen people reach down and lap up the water at Tel Dan because it's so crystal clear. You get down by the Dead Sea, nobody's drinking that water. Nobody. Why? It's polluted because it started at its source to be pure. And so too was the bloodline. But over time, because of the sin of man and because of corruption, later in Moses, he said, you know, if you marry your there's going to be you know, problems with your children, with your offspring. So it was forbidden, but it wasn't forbidden here. It wasn't wrong. It was God's plan. It had to be that way, right? So where did Cain get his... There was thousands of people probably. But you know what? We know there was at least one. 
Amen? But we also know from the following chapters that more than likely there was a great population that had already begun to grow. And so, it says she conceived and bore Enoch. Now, this is not the Enoch that we're going to talk about next week. This is not the same name, different guy. Okay? Name doesn't always mean everything. So Cain's married, they have a child. The name Enoch means consecrated or dedicated. And this Enoch was certainly trained up in the ways of his father. Because we're going to see that he, along with the rest of those who followed him, would not walk with God. The entire line of Cain is not in the true faith, not in the ways of God, but in the wicked ways of their father. Now notice what it says he did. It says he bore a son, he named him Enoch, and he built a city. Now what had God told him? You're going to be a wanderer. You're not going to have a home. You're going to be a nomad. So what does he do? He goes and tries out to prove God wrong. I'm going to build myself a place. So I don't have to wander anymore. Now in Hebrew, the word there is was, was building. And some people believe he didn't finish it. I don't know for sure. But here's the point. I know for a fact he wandered all his life. Why? Because God said so. Amen? And he never found the peace that he would have had in the Lord. And he never found it. Instead, he was trying to accomplish something from the world's perspective because he had walked away from God. Guys, we walk away from God will ever be trying to satisfy the void that can only be found in him. Amen? And we'll never be able to do it. And Cain is certainly a primary example of that. So he attempts to defy the prophecy that he would be a wonder. He seeks to find peace and protection and a sense of stability in stone walls when he should have been standing on the rock. Amen? Not stone walls, but standing on the rock. Intimate fellowship with the Lord. Man's attempts to fill the void of broken fellowship with God are always futile. But notice, we don't even see him trying to till on the ground anymore. Remember what God said? It's going to be fruitless for you. It's just not going to work. Okay, well, I can't be a farmer. I'm going to be a, a city builder then. And so he tries to build himself a place of belonging. And look what it says. And he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. Now note that the city, probably maybe the very first city in human history, we don't know. Maybe, maybe there have been some already. But notice that it's man-centered. Notice he names it after his son. Now again, I've got a son that I named David, and I mainly named him David because I love David in the Bible, but I don't think it's wrong to name your son after you. That's fine. But here's the point. The point is, shouldn't we be pointing people to Jesus instead of to ourselves? And what he does here is he's naming it after his son. It's not a God-centered city. It's a man-centered city. It's named after, let me perpetuate my name and the name of my son. The fall of human race is picking up speed. And again, you know what's interesting too, as I was reading this, you know, evolutionary anthropologists used, you know, city building or urbanization as they would call it to, de to denote the emergence of a stone age. And they said it probably took hundreds of thousands, if not millions of years to reach such development. You read your Bible, it took one generation. Amen? There might have already been some before. You get to Cain, he's already building cities. So this goes back to the fact that the anthropologists don't have a clue. They just don't. Now, they may have other th areas that they, but they don't get it because God created man in his own image. Amen? You know, these movies you see with cavemen running around and they can't talk and they're kind of, ha you know, kind of coming from ape into man somewhere, somewhere along that evolutionary chart, that big, you know, that, you know, that fiction that was on the wall in your science class at school. 
And there's somewhere in the middle of that, that is as big a fairy tale as Little Red Riding Hood. Amen? Now, people dwell, well, those writings in caves. Well, David dwelt in a cave too. That doesn't mean that because they were in a cave, you know, for shelter, that they were, you know, Cro-Magnon man. Amen? So that's just a fairy tale. And we see you just read the Bible. If you read the Bible, you would never know, well, I mean, he must be Cro-Magnon man. No, it doesn't say that. God created man in his own image. Amen? We're going to see that next week in chapter 5. So it happened in one generation. One generation moving what the world thought took hundreds of thousands, if not millions of years. And again, as you move down the lineage of Cain, you're going to notice that it's all going to be destroyed in the flood. And you're going to see a marked contrast with those in the messianic line, especially when we get to the seventh generation, the number of completeness. So notice how it impacts the next generation, verse 18. It says, To Enoch was born Irad, and to Irad, Mahujael. Mahujael begot Methushael, and Methushael begot Lamech. So right there from verse 17 to 18, we've gone through seven generations. Remember I told you in chapters 4 and 5, we go through, we go through 1,600 years plus in two chapters like that. And right here we have seven generations. And it's interesting to me that two of these children, whenever you see L at the end of a name, L is the name for God. So they were actually named with the name of God in their name. And their names meant God gives life and God's man. So there was still some, you know, a portion of them that they knew there was a God and they believed there was a God. And at the same time, though, they walked in rebellion against God. Guys, the knowledge that there is a God is not enough. Amen? We must be walking with Him, in fellowship with Him, having intimacy with Him. And notice the last one, his name is Lamech. Now, Lamech is the seventh in the line of Cain. And the only reason I'm going to point that out is next week we're going to look at the seventh in the line of Adam. And his name is Enoch. And we're going to see a, an incredible contrast between Lamech and Enoch. Because Lamech is the one who is seventh in the line of rebellion, and Enoch is the one in seventh in the line of the appointed one through whom the Messiah would come. And Enoch is going to be one where Lamech is in rebellion. Enoch is going to walk with God. And it all goes back again. They have free will, but notice that the line they came from has a huge impact on the men that they became. And notice the rebellion level in Lamech. It says there, verse 19, Then Lamech, Lamech took for himself two wives. Here's the beginning of polygamy. Starts with this man here. And he is rebelling against God. God had one man for one woman for a lifetime. And we get to the seventh generation of rebellion and now multiple wives. The reasons for his polygamy here are not mentioned, but it can be lust, power, wealth. Again, the more offspring, the larger the clan, the more wealth, the more power you have. But here's the point. The rebellion left unchecked resulted in outright disregard for the word of God. This is what happens. When we start to rebel against God, before you know it, we just don't even care what the Word of God says anymore. We go from being immoral to amoral. We go from knowing the truth and choosing to rebel against it to not even caring what the truth is. And this is what has happened just in seven generations. Gone from Cain, the son of Adam and Eve, seven generations down, all of a sudden, here we have already 
wickedness personified where he just walks away from the Lord. He's doing things his own way. We're going to see more about his character in a moment to the point where he just rejects what God said about one man and one woman for a lifetime. Point number three of the way of Cain. The focus becomes on temporal success, not right standing before God. Look what it says in verse 20. Rest of 19, excuse me. He had two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the second was Zillah. And Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. Like they, what, I mean, you think they got, all, they got all kinds of names to pick from, and they just, I guess they wanted to not forget. Jabal and Jubal. He was the father of those who played the harp and the flute. And as for Zillah, she bore Tubal-Cain, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubal-Cain was Nama. Now notice, in a short amount of time, again, we're seven generations down. And notice, Jabal, his name means wonder. He's the one who invented the tent and enabled him to carry his home with him, developing a nomadic lifestyle. He developed uh, systems for domesticating animals and you know, for milk and skins for clothing and probably beasts of burden. And he did all this stuff and, and possibly even meat, which God had not commanded him to eat yet. But here they are in rebellion. But notice, in the midst of the rebellion, it can look from a distance like they're doing really well. Have you ever done that before? You look at somebody, they're in total rebellion against God, and they keep getting promotions. And you think, man, that guy's rebelling against God. Or they got a really big house, or they're driving a really nice car, and they're cursing the Lord. And you think, how is that even possible? Guys, you're focusing on the wrong riches. Amen? It's not accumulating the things of this world, but it's a right standing before God. But notice, in the midst of the rebellion, it seems they're doing well. Jubal means sound. And he was one who helped with the, either the invention or certainly the bringing them into common use of stringed and, wind and, and musical instruments. So music's already taken place. And again, the anthropologists would say, oh, that didn't happen for, well, we're seven generations in and here it is, right? It's already here. Tubal Cain used both bronze and iron and said it was to be a divisor of all kinds of objects made of bronze and iron. So the standard for living seems to be pretty tremendous by these talented sons of this rebellious man. And again, archaeologists and anthropologists of evolutionary theory say the key attributes of emergence from men of the Stone Age into a true civilization was agriculture, the domestication of animals, and the use of metal. We just saw all three of those things in these verses right here. How in the world did that happen? You know how it happened? Because God was the one who brought it about. It wasn't millions of years of random chance. Amen? And it even happens here, as we'll see, in those who are in rebellion against God. Now, notice what we're going to see next. It, now, notice these entire generations. Here they are. But notice Lamech. He's the example for us of the full-blown heart of Cain. Seven generations in, the number of completeness. What do we see in this man? Well, we're going to see increased violence, anger, and self-promotion. It says there, Then Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, wives of Lamech. Listen to my speech. Can you imagine living with this guy? Can you imagine it comes out? Hear my voice, wives. I mean, we can already get an idea where this guy's coming from. You know, listen to my... I've never tried... I don't think I will. I don't think that would go very well. And then look what he says. Listen to my speech. He's very proud of himself. What's he proud of? Here's what he's proud of. I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. 
If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. This guy's pretty full of himself, isn't he? Anybody kills Cain sevenfold, well, that's only because God's doing it. Anybody comes against me seventy-sevenfold. This guy is extremely arrogant. He is a man of rebellion. He's a man who is filled with himself. He's a man who flaunts his rebellion. I've gone out and committed murder, and I'm proud of it. You know what? This is what happens when we get desensitized to sin. Amen? You get to a place where where we call good evil and evil good. Like the world we live in today. And that's exactly what we see here in the heart of Lamech. A total spirit of rebellion against God. He continues in the state of rebellion. Again, the increased violence. It seems like violence has gone. Now, remember, Cain was a murderer, right? You go seven sons down, what is he? He's a murderer. The impact he's having on the generations to come. He, he boasts of his prowess in combat. He declares to bring violent retribution against anyone foolish enough to oppose him. You know what this reminds me of? He kills a guy and he basically writes a song about it, right? Gets up and sings it to everyone. He must have been the first rapper, right? Isn't that what they do? They commit crime and they sing songs about it. So I'm not a big fan. But Lamech, weapon in hand, is asserting his self-sufficiency and independence from God. He promises retribution. You know, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Isn't it interesting that he says 77-fold? Because when you get to Matthew 18, the Lord says to forgive what? 70 times 7. Isn't it interesting that one says, you come against me and I'm going to bring 77 times retribution against you in my power. And then the Lord says, forgive him 70 times 7. They want to follow the Lord's example, not Lamech's. During this period of the fall, from the fall to the flood, there seems to have been no organized system of law or government for controlling human behavior. No doubt they've been taught right from wrong, but right now the... People are just doing as they will, doing as they please, enforcing standards of behavior or worship, whatever they thought was right. And again, while some no doubt heeded his words, others did not. Most, were people, most people sadly were content to go, as it says in Jude 11, the way of Cain, to pursue creature comforts, rapidly developing technology of the day. It was not long before the wickedness of man was great upon the earth. We'll see that in chapter 6. Where does it start? It starts when man removes God and starts doing things his own way. When man takes the word of God and sets it aside and says, I'm going to do what's right in my eyes. I want two wives, I'll have two wives. Somebody offends me, I'll kill them. You know what? I'm going to do what I think is best and pity the person that gets in my way. This is the ultimate picture of pride, isn't it? And boy, it starts with Cain and goes down his lineage and it just gets worse and worse and worse. What a a word of exhortation for all of us, that we would stand for the Lord. The marked contrast that we will see in the lineage of Cain and through Seth, next week we'll take a look at it. In the lineage of Cain, you had technologically you know, advancement, you had buildings and animal husbandry and music and bronze and iron and weapons of war, but they were falling away spiritually. They were in a place not of desperation for God, but in self-sufficiency. Not brokenness before God, but in pride. Not God-centered, but man-centered. The way of Cain is a clear picture of the world we live in today. I look around us and I see the way of Cain. You know, we are more technologically advanced than ever. Is that true or what? Isn't it amazing how much we've seen the world change in just a generation? It's incredible. 
I tell my kids stories, and you know, you don't want to do this, but you know, you tell your kids stories about when you were a kid, and they, they did, you talk to them about an album, they think that's the thing you keep pictures in. No, there used to be these big black plastic things about that big, and you put a thing on, and they popped and hissed, and they would melt, and they, you know, the music, and they're like, what? They got no idea what you're talking about. They didn't know what it was like when it actually took two hours to cook a meal. They think 90 seconds in the microwave is way too long. I mean, things have changed technologically. I'm amazed. You know, we have more in a, in a cell phone today, computing capability and capabilities than they had 50 years ago in the greatest computers in the world. It's amazing. I don't know how to use those things. I don't know that I ever want to know, but I'm amazed at all the stuff you can keep in a little phone. I bought my, one of my kids an iPod. It was like, it looked like, it looked like a stamp. Because, you know, that's kind of small, though. It only hold about 6,000 songs. Are there 6,000 songs? I didn't know there were. <laughs> but technologically, we have, just, we have just gotten so far, you know. Computers and cell phones and microwaves for faster computing, faster communication, faster cooking. You can put a room full of books. I remember when they used to sell encyclopedias. You remember that? You'd have to have, like, you know, you have to, like, put your spare room full of books to, you know, have the, and now they come, it's on a disc that you get free with your computer. It's only like $2,000. It's going to be $50 a month for the rest of your life to buy these books. Or now it's like 9 bucks, or it comes free with your computer. It's amazing how technology has absolutely changed. But you know what? Most of these advances, be it, you know, the fact that we can talk, text, email, or access the Internet on our phone while we're driving through the desert these days, that blows me away. But you know what? Most of these advances, sadly, have been hijacked for evil. Not that they're evil in and of themselves, but certainly they've brought the access to evil right into our homes. Is that true or not? As we say, talk about moms and dads being spiritual leaders in our homes, we need to watch out for what technology can bring into our household. Amen? How, you know, strangers will come into our home and talk to our children on the internet pretending to be their friends and draw them away. Pornography, gambling, uh, you know, kids go online and find their test paper they want for next week and print, download it and pay five bucks and turn it in. I mean, it's amazing. You can cheat, you can lie, you can steal. You can do all kinds of stuff right from the comfort of your own home while driving down the freeway or on your, on your iPod. I mean, technology certainly has grown, but sadly, with it, evil has come. The technology is not bad. It can, it can be used for God's glory, but it's an open door to evil. It's an isolation of the individual. We've been talking about that the last few weeks. It's anonymity and lack of accountability brings about things that would never take place otherwise. I'm convinced of that. But you know what? Days of Cain, they became technologically advanced and they were spiritually bankrupt. We're living in a day where we're becoming more and more technologically advanced and more and more spiritually bankrupt. We have less of a need for interaction with other human beings. We have less of a need for anyone to hold me accountable or to fellowship with anybody else. I can live my life on my own. Away. I can do my banking at home. I can, you know, I can telecommute. I can sit in my living room. I can never take off my pajamas all week long. I don't ever have to leave. You can go to, you know, you can go to church on the internet now. I don't, I don't encourage it, by the way. We need some fellowship, amen? We need human interaction. You, got, you need to be able to use your gifts to minister to one another. So the way of Cain, the consequences of rebellion upon man and those who follow him, it leaves you lost in wondering. It impacts not only you, but the generations that follow. The focus becomes on temporal success, not right standing before God. 
being technologically advanced but spiritually bankrupt. You see an increase in violence and anger and self-promotion. Now let's just take a look at two verses as we get ready for next week to look at the line of Seth. Because look at the difference as he recognizes human frailty and begins to call on the name of the Lord. So contrary to the one who says, whoever defies me. That reminds me of Goliath. You know, come defy me. Come out and bring your best guy. Anybody comes against me, they're going to get retribution 70 times 7. 77 times. I dare you. I've got the best weaponry. I've got the most wealth. I've got the most wives. I've got the most kids, right? Very filled with himself. Notice the difference in the heart of Seth. Verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. Now, Seth means appointed. Indicates that Eve had faith that through this son, the promise would be fulfilled. The promise would be fulfilled through the line of Seth, because through the line of Seth, Jesus Christ would come. Now, not as soon as she thought, but he would come nonetheless. And notice, there's a marked change in the emphasis. They're calling not on themselves, but on the Lord, because she says, you know, her focus is on the Lord when her child is born. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. You know, I love this picture of faith here, because Her son was put to death, but she did not believe that was the end of God's promise. Amen? She knew that in the midst of tragedy, God was still in control. This early, trusted, you know what? God said he was going to bring, and he's going to. I'm having, you know what? We believe this is the son of no doubt many sons and daughters that they had. His name means, again, appointed, and they believed he would be the one. And look what it says. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born. And he named him Enosh. Now, I love this because Enosh means moral frailty. Seth didn't name cities after his son. He named his son after the fact that he knew that man was in desperate need of a savior. Moral frailty. I named my son moral frailty. That, you know what? Maybe not the name you want to have, but it'd be a good name to have. Amen? Moral frailty time for dinner, right? Come on in. But what a reminder that we are in desperate need of the Lord. Amen? And she speaks from a heart of faith. And look what it says. Then men began to call on the name of the Lord. While the line of Cain was displaying pride and walking around puffed up with self and look how technologically superior we are. You're spiritually bankrupt. Look how much stuff we have. We have music and we have everything. We're such a blessed nation. Sometimes we look at countries that are wealthy and we think God's blessing is upon them, but sometimes the very opposite is true. The very opposite, that they're spiritually bankrupt. God, Lord, if we have to go back to, you know, the very simplistic, most simplistic things of life to bring about revival, then bring it on. You know, it's interesting, the places where they have less, they tend to trust God more. Have you ever noticed that? Go to India. They're living in a shack. They got dirt on the floor. The whole family lives there. You know, and they're, they're, they got a little thing of rice that's got to last them for the week. And they have more joy than people that live in a mansion in Beverly Hills. You know why? Because joy does not come from physical accomplishment. It comes from walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit and walking with Almighty God. Amen? And we'll notice here as we finish off, displaying faith. Again, where the line... Of Cain boasted in themselves, the line of Seth called upon the name of the Lord. The line of Cain was self-sufficient, the line of Seth God-dependent. 
The line of Cain building cities for refuge. The line of Seth, as we'll talk about next week, building altars for sacrifice and finding their refuge in the Lord. Calling on the name of the Lord probably again included the sacrifices they made. While Cain rebelled and so did his son, Seth trusted in God and so did his sons. And we get to Enoch, that seventh generation, next week. We're going to see a man who walked with God so closely that God's going to snatch him away and bring him straight into heaven. In the midst of the time when there was wickedness upon the earth, we're getting close to the days of Noah, right? We're coming up on Noah. Enoch was, a, was it during the time of Noah, not far off. And Enoch gets snatched away in the middle of all that rebellion. There was one who walked with God, and it's not by chance, in my opinion, that he's from the line of Seth. He's from a line that called upon the name of the Lord. It was handed down from generation. Now, we're going to see rebellion even in that line, but the difference is in the midst of it, there was that godly remnant. Where in the line of Cain, there was rebellion and self-reliance and being puffed up in all the accomplishments that we had. Guys, we need to not be puffed up in anything, but fully reliant and dependent upon Jesus Christ. He alone is our Savior. He alone is our hope. Only in Him will we have peace. So, the way of Cain consequences of rebellion upon a man and those who follow him leaves you lost and wandering. Maybe you're here tonight and you, you feel lost. You don't need to anymore. Number two, impacts not only you but the generations that follow. Know that your sin can either have consequences on your family or your faithfulness can minister to your family. Number three, focuses on temporal success, not right standing before God. They were technically, technologically advanced but spiritually bankrupt. It increased violence and anger and self-promotion. And then finally, the line of Seth, just in two verses, just getting the beginning of it, notice that they recognize the human frailty and they call on the name of the Lord. Which one describes you? Are you one desperate for God? Are you one trusting in your bank account, trusting in your abilities? Or are you one that says, you know what, Lord, if it weren't for you, I'd be a train wreck. Lord, help us to be in that place of dependence. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for your love and your grace. And we thank you, Lord, even for these examples of, give us examples to follow and, and samples to learn, examples to learn from. And Lord, while experience is the best teacher, it's not always our experience that we have to go through it ourselves. But Lord, to see others. Lord, the example of Cain, one Lord who heard directly from you, one who could have intimate fellowship with you, who just chose to rebel, to go his own way, to make up his own rules. And Lord, the disaster that followed. And then Lord, just to get a glimpse already of Seth, one who, because of his faithfulness, the generations that followed would call upon the name of the Lord. I pray, Lord, for our households that are represented here. I pray for our children, Lord, that we would live examples godly examples before them, that we would intercede on their behalf, and Lord, they would grow up to love and serve and honor you. Lord, I pray specifically for children that may be in rebellion right now. Some here have grown children out of that house, not walking with you. We ask in Jesus' name that even now, the truth that was taught to them as a child, Lord, would just come back quick to their, to their memory, Lord. You just bring conviction and bring restoration. Lord, we thank you and we praise you, Lord, that we're not saved because of our good works. But Lord, that because we've called upon the name of the Lord, you and you alone are our Savior, our God, and our King. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, let's stand and close the worship song.